Ladies and gentlemen, this is David Penzer. The voice of Ring of Honor, Ian Riccoboni. The Russian Nightmare, Nikita Koloff. I'm Ardo Cal. Alexia Nicole. Hey, this is Jason Sensation. This is your boy, Stevie Ray. Diamond Tiger, Kobe Durst. Carrie Silken, Ring of Honor Ambassador. Nick fucking Gage. This is my doll, Connor. This is Nova, the LD athlete. It's Jonah Williams from the Cincinnati Bengals. Rapid delivery, Rory Fox. This is Wildcat Chris Harris, one half of America's Most Wanted. Tyson Dukes, the wrestling machine. This is Bill Actor. Former WWF slash WWE referee Jimmy Corderas. The hardcore icon, just incredible. Now that's not just the coolest, and that's not just the best. That, my friends, is... Count it out with Mike and Tyler. Well, we are live, pals, and welcome to a very patriotic edition of Count It Out with Mike and Tyler. My name is Tyler, and Mike's not here, man. Since Mike did a, such a shit job on his list on Canada last year when he counted down the top seven best pay-per-views to happen in Canada. So we didn't glad invite him. you took him to task for that, because honestly... How could he have left Unforgiven off of there? Like, I liked his list, but man, Unforgiven, that's a solid, solid show. Right? I was there right behind JR and and the King in the front row. It's one of the best live shows I've ever been to. So shame on you, Mike. Your presence is what made it number one. That's what I'm saying. Like, Unforgiven number one, Mayhem 99 number two, really. Thank you. Thank you. Second row for that one as well. Made camera for both of them. No big deal. And you're hearing that beautiful voice right there. That is the voice of the one and only, our Impact Wrestling expert analysis, former uh, owner of WrestleMedia, Mr. Adam Content. Adam, thanks for coming in, man. Dude, I could not be more excited. Uh, finally, we're going to sit down and talk about the seven greatest Slammiversary moments. I know Slammiversary is coming up around the corner. We're all excited. It's the biggest event of the summer. I'm pumped to be here for this. Uh, this is awkward. We are actually going to talk about Canadian wrestling title runs today, Adam. You didn't, you didn't get the email, did you? Mike tricked me again. Listen, now I've been doing this for about a year with Mike, and I've had to carry him through a lot of shows, so I think we're going to be okay today uh, on this uh, very very Canada Day-themed episode of Count It Out. With, with Tyler and Adam today. I, I mean, there's a lot of successful Canadians who have come through Impact Wrestling, so we, we, we might talk a little Impact Wrestling at some I, point, right? Maybe. I have a feeling that we may discuss a little bit of Impact Wrestling today. Okay, then I'll stick around, I guess. I'll all stick right, around all right. I'll, I'll, I'm glad you're going to stick around. And before I forget, I have to mention, by the way, this is the Bill After-approved podcast that you're listening to right now. Got to plug that in every single week. And before we get into the list... Uh, Let's let's talk a little bit of the news that's going on here, and and I want to start with uh, maybe maybe we can shift your Impact Wrestling hat off for a second and put your Ring of Honor hat on here. Uh, survival of the Fittest has it's over, and and we've got a Survival of the Fittest champion, don't we? Yeah, and you know normally I'd feel bad about talking about Ring of Honor behind Mike's back, but since he gave me the wrong list this week, I think that maybe I can maybe take it over from him for this week as a little bit of payback. Yes, and I just want to say. Not to gloat, 
But my pick to win Survival of the Fittest did come out on top, and that's Bandito with yeah. a busted up arm, thanks to La Flamita putting him through a table in the match. Uh, Ray Horace was there to kind of pump him back up, and after elimination of both uh, Chris uh, Dickinson and uh, finally uh, Eli Issam at the end of the match, uh, dude's going to go on to take on Roosh at Best in the World. Um, I'm excited. I know that there's a lot of people out there that felt like Dickinson was maybe the better opponent considering that violence unlimited and the um uh, ifl they are um you know going at war to war with one another right now but honestly i think bandito is a great choice that guy has been pegged as like a top guy for the company since he made his debut and i think they're probably not going to pull the trigger on him but i think that they're looking at these two going yep this can be a match that people are going to watch on pay-per-view and say that was worth the 30 40 bucks See, I, I feel like with Bandito, he um, he's had a lot of stop and go, and no fault of Ring of Honor or his own. You know, I think uh, he was off TV for a lot at the beginning of the pandemic when they shut down. I feel like every time he kind of gets that momentum going, it gets yanked out from underneath him for whatever reason. So I'm okay with this decision. I don't know if he's going to be the guy to, to end the title reign. If he is, I could see it being a transitional champion to move on to something else. There's a lot of rumors that Roosh might be finishing up with the company. Um, the one thing I, I still haven't got to see the match yet. I've been working uh, the late night hours and, and have not got to watch the match. But Mike will punch me in the face if I do not put over Ian Riccoboni's commentary. Apparently, was just absolutely fantastic, and that's friend of the show, Ian Riccoboni, of course. Well, I mean, you know, that's like looking up and saying, "Hey, the sky is blue today." Uh, Ian Riccoboni is one of the best <laughs> in the game right now, uh, and some would probably argue the absolute best. And Caprice Coleman. It, you know, they gel. They're, they, they're like peanut butter and jelly. So you can't get much better. Honestly, right behind Impact for me personally, Ring of Honor is my favorite TV product right now. I love what they're doing. And I'm kind of tempted to order best in the world. This card is shaping up to be pretty dang good. You know, from an in-ring standpoint, you're going to get a home run every time with Ring of Honor. I, I do think that the uh, the weekly show is the best show out of all the wrestling shows right now. Uh, maybe SmackDown gives it a run for its money. SmackDown's been pretty good lately as well. Um, I just, like, Ring of Honor is missing fans. And I think that's the only only thing is that the 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 lack, because the, the fans are such a part of Ring of Honor. You know what I mean? They always bring it to that next level. And, and now they've announced that we are going to see fans come back for, is it for Best in the World? Is that when they're coming back? I believe so. And, man, couldn't have ushered in a better time you know it looks like a lot of companies are following suit with what wwe did earlier at wrestlemania making one of their big flagship shows the entryway point for fans back into the crowd and slammiversary is going to have fans uh, back in an impact ring for the or in the impact area for the first time uh, since the pandemic shut them down same goes for ring of honor with best in the world it's smart you want to make your big events feel bigger and I got to admit, this year watching WrestleMania, even though there wasn't a whole lot on the card that had me excited, once I turned on the television, I saw fans, I felt the energy coming through the television, made a huge difference. Absolutely. And, and you know, I think a lot of these companies, uh, WWE and Impact Wrestling, when they decide to bring fans back and, uh, and Ring of Honor, they can use this as kind of a fresh start as well. Uh, WWE specifically, I think, has kind of been in a holding pattern waiting for this moment. 
Ring of Honor's quality been advancing their stories and, and, and making everything pretty awesome. Same with Impact. But I, I just think that the fans coming back is going to bring a lot of new, uh, maybe not new eyes, but it's going to get everybody more interested in the products again. Uh, you know, the, the no fans is definitely hurting everybody. And I, I just think this is the time where all the companies need to put their best foot forward and start putting on the best product that they can put on. I definitely think it's going to change the game once we get fans back into the arenas and clubs and anywhere else we can find pro wrestling. It isn't the same without them. And I think that we can look at some of the greatest matches of all time that are really built on crowd interaction and how good a crowd is. Because sometimes without them, a match just isn't a classic without them. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I couldn't agree with you more on that. Um, um, I lost my point on, uh, on top of that. So maybe we'll just move on to the next point then. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, we talked about ring of honor and how they're really building and maybe turning over a new leaf with best in the world. It's possible. There could be some new faces showing up in ring of honor within the next 90 days or so if yeah we contracts are to be believed another round of cuts here um you know mike and i kind of have a sad tradition now where when these things happen we kind of run through the names and and we predict where they're going to go and where we'd like to see them go and um so we're going to go through some of these names right now i don't think i don't think uh all of them are going to get mentioned uh just because i i don't know some of these names they haven't been on tv uh, you know what I mean? But let's let's go through some of the big ones here. And I'll start off with the Bollywood Boys. Do you see? Yeah. I, I like the Bollywood Boys. I got to meet them at SummerSlam a couple of years ago when it was in Toronto. And uh, I just thought they were great guys. I thought they were great with Jinder Mahal. I think they have great chemistry. And they deliver in the ring. So where do you see the Bollywood Boys ending up? This is actually one that I've had to think a lot about. Because there is no place... I see the Bollywood boys fitting in perfectly. By that, I mean, they've got a lot of personality. They've obviously have a a lot of in-ring ability as well. But the truth of the matter is we haven't seen what they can do bell to bell enough in WWE to make me immediately go, Oh, they're going to fit right in with AEW. They're going to be great in impact. I can see them in the NWA. Nothing like that is standing out about them to me. The Honestly, the best exposure they had was with Jinder Mahal. So my prediction is I don't necessarily know that these guys are going to get picked up right away. I think they are going to go take some time, reinvent themselves, and possibly come back bigger and better than ever. I don't see them going to another company right away. If, uh, if I were to see them go anywhere, because I don't disagree with your points there at all, I could see them kind of sliding into that Impact Wrestling Tag Team division. Um, not that they could replace these guys, but there has been a gap in it ever since the Rascals left and went to 100%. WWE. And you know what? Like, Obviously, they can't do the flying that those guys do, but the chemistry's there. They could kind of fill that void, maybe. While I do think that there is another tag team that was recently released that I think would be a better fit in that role... I definitely could see them maybe hooking up with Rohit Raju and Shira. Get ourselves another a new Desi hit squad, maybe bigger and better. It's right. You're writing it right now for them, you know? (laughs) Uh, Scott, call me. (laughs) That's it, eh? Uncle Scott, we're waiting. Um, (laughs) Another name, and and this is one I think that they really dropped the ball on, is uh, Mariana uh, Shaffrey, the wife of Roderick Strong there in in the Four Horsewomen with Rhonda and and Shayna. And Jasmine Duke, who's also been released, right? If I'm not mistaken, she got released earlier in the year or last year. 
I don't necessarily know that it was a big loss. And that's nothing to put down uh, Duke or Shafir or anybody in that group. But I think that when they were initially signed, and maybe I'm just speaking from personal personal perspective here, I think the big money showdown was horsewomen versus horsewomen. We wanted to see Ronda's crew take on Charlotte and Becky and Sasha and uh, Bailey. And we never really got that for one reason or another. But really, when you take a look back at the progress that Shafir and Duke had made, they were coming a long way, but they were not even close yeah. to what Baszler or Rousey had been able to do. I just think they, you know, they were one of these things that WWE took a gamble on them because, you know, they're Rousey's pals. And let's see what they can do. And if we can get another Shayna Baszler out of it or even, you know, just another good talent. Hey, great. No problem. And then we keep Ronda happy. And I just think they didn't pan out the way that they were hoping they would. And I mean, WWE's proven with some of their other cuts. It don't really matter if you're married to anybody in that company. Yeah. You are on the chopping block if you are if you're seen as a liability. So now I don't know where they go. Personally, I don't think they're going to. Again, I don't know that they're necessarily going to jump back into the world of pro wrestling. I never got the feeling from them that they were really passionate about it the way that Baszler was. I mean, a lot of people forget Baszler didn't just come in being like, oh, I'm Ronda Rousey's buddy. I just came in from cage fighting. Baszler was on the indie scene. Yes. She got signed like yep. she loves pro wrestling. And Ronda, look, Ronda's in a stratosphere all to herself in terms of star power. But she loves it. And I oh, still yeah. don't think she's done. I know we will see her back in a wrestling ring sooner rather than later. A hundred percent. There's money on the table with Rhonda and Becky still. Duke and Shafir. I never got the feeling that they really loved it or had the passion for it the way the other two did. So, <laughs> so again, I mean, call me a broken record here, but like the sing bros, I don't see these two showing up in a major company in the near future. See, I, I'm going to agree with part of what you're saying and then disagree with part of what you're saying. I don't think that we're going to see a- them. <laughs> I don't think we're going to see them in a company also. But I also didn't have any interest in seeing the horsewomen against the horsewomen match either because I agree with you. I don't think from an in-ring standpoint they were ready for that spot. However, I thought that they were great heaters for Shayna Blazer. And and I I think a quick call-up to the main roster for them to put them with Shayna one more time could have saved everybody because Shayna needs it. Shayna needs uh, some help right now on that main roster. What are you talking about? Ain't she partnered with Nia Jax? Okay, next. Uh. <laughs> I'm just saying, like, you just have Nia punch a couple gals and the, half the roster will be out for months. There you go, right? I, I just, yeah, I don't know. Give, you give don't me get them a bigger as, heater than that. That is, that is the wrong, that's the, I'm not even going to call that X-Fox heat because I think X-Fox heat is a compliment. Uh, that is the wrong kind of heat, Mr. Adam. Come on now. Um, two more names I want to mention here uh, and then we'll move on. Uh, Tony Nice, uh, which I think... W- vastly underrated and he was really not that i watched the product a lot uh 205 live but i know he was really tearing it down and really proud of the work he was doing over there what do you think from him i'm thinking ring of honor would be a great fit in that pure division for him worst kept secret in 205 live just how good that guy is yeah and it's unfortunate that he didn't get a bigger shot and i understand that a lot of that comes down to the fact that the dude did not have as much personality as some of the guys that he was paired up with at the beginning. Cause you know, you put him in there with TJP or a rich Swan or a Brian Kendrick. And it's like, guy can't compare. Mm. 
But that's not to say he wasn't bad. Like, the guy has charisma. Yeah. He's just not a great talker. I agree Ring of Honor would be a good spot for him. Personally, I could see him thriving in the NWA as well. Yeah, I agree with that. Put him with, like, Chris Adonis, have, like, a body kind of gimmick, the two of them. I think they would work really well together. I like that, too. That guy, I think, could really go anywhere and make a name for himself because the dude's a great worker. Yeah, New Japan Strong would be good for him as well. That's exactly what I was going to say. New Japan Strong, I think, would be a good spot for him. I could see MLW doing something with him and being successful with it. I wouldn't put it past Impact to sign him up because they seem to be the place where people go to reinvent themselves and become bigger and better stars. I've said this many times to my friends. I couldn't believe if you had told me a year ago that, man... I can't wait to watch uh, Kurt Hawkins and Big Cass. We're going to be the reasons I tune into my television every week. I would have called you crazy. Yeah. But man, what a change a scenery does for a couple of guys. So I could see him in any of those spots. The dude is so versatile. But you know what? Just to be agreeable here, uh, I will. I will agree. Ring of Honor would be an excellent spot for him, especially at the. And the uh, last name I want to bring up here is Breeze Dangle, Fandango and Tyler Breeze. A lot of people were really surprised about this one. I, I don't want to sound negative, but I wasn't. Um, Fandango's been hurt for the better part of the last two, three years now. Tyler Breeze has been one of their most over, overlooked superstars in the company. They weren't really doing a lot with these guys outside of NXT. Uh, what, what do you think? Do we see these guys stick together on the indie scene? or Are they going to hit another company together? Or are they going to go their separate ways? Well, I mean, the big rumor now is Tyler Breeze to AEW because him and Sean Spears are close friends. They have a wrestling school together in Niagara Falls. So it's very, very uh, rumor heavy that Spears will pull a few strings and get his buddy there. I I honestly think that Fandango could do well in AEW. I mean, they're big gimmicky guys, I think, with the kind of trimmings and money that, you know, um, Tony could throw at these guys for their vignettes. They could do well. I mean, look at what they've done with best friends, right? These yeah. guys aren't afraid to shy away from gimmicks and throw money at a gimmick to get it over. That being said, I don't know what Fandango and Tyler Breeze's relationship is like outside the ring. If they're one, if they feel like they need to be a package deal, I don't think they do. Um, I don't know where these guys are going to end up, to be honest. To be frank about it, I don't necessarily see them sticking together. I do think Breeze will end up in AEW just because he's a good enough talent that they're going to want him there. And he's close enough with Spears that, again, they may just be able to pull a few strings and get him there. As for Fandango, tough call. I mean, this this guy's been working for so long, and it just feels like he just doesn't have that X factor to get him to that next level. This is going to sound terrible. I think he might be damaged goods. Yeah. Well, and you know what? A big part of Fandango, and, and even to an extent, uh, extent Tyler Breeze, is their gimmicks. And they can't do that anymore. You know, Fandango and, and the Fandangoing and, and the, you know what I mean? That, that kind of quirkiness. Like, he can keep the personality, but those gimmicks were a huge part of what got them over. I think what will happen is Tyler Breeze will go to AEW and do some version of his supermodel character. Um, I think Fandango will do what he did years ago and totally reinvent himself. Yeah, he's done if, enough times. If he decides to come back to the world of pro wrestling, Fandango, I think, will be dead and buried. And we will see a new version of 
the man formerly known as Johnny Curtis. I think that we will see him come out and be something completely different, reinvent himself. Where he does it, hard to say. Honestly, I, again, I, I hate to be this guy, but I am this guy. The place to go right now to reinvent yourself is Impact Wrestling. That's the I, you're not where, wrong. That's where people are going to show the world that I'm not what I was previously. I'm something better. So maybe there. Maybe that would be a good spot. Well, that's uh, that's it for the names there. And uh, if I may, yeah. Before we jump in, there are two names that I want to mention. That oh yeah, of course, of course. Now I know you guys had mentioned Arya Davari. Yeah. uh, Previously, I'm just going to point out that you know his brother is also kind of working part time for Impact, so not bad. Yeah. But the big one that the big one I want to talk about is Everrise, because I had mentioned before that there was a tag team that I think would be a great spot for the Rascals' replacement and impact. I think those are the guys. And even Josh Alexander sent out a tweet once the news broke that he wants them there and impact. Oh, great. These are guys with limitless potential. And for those of you who aren't familiar with their work, don't know them from the Quebec scene or the Ottawa scene or, or the Ontario scene, trust me when I say these guys can go, and they are going to be huge for whichever company snatches them up and capitalizes on their potential. That is the one signing from this list that I really want to see. I want to see Everrise in Impact because I think that they could show the world that they were a missed opportunity. You know where I'd like to see them go? I would like to see them go right around the corner to friend of the show, Barry Wrestling. <laughs> Let's go. Barry Wrestling is coming back strong soon. And uh, I want to keep an eye out on the Barry Wrestling Federation there. They got the Ontario Cup, which is shaping up to be pretty awesome head over to uh at barry wrestling to check out all that information wild look at tournament yeah it's gonna be great it's gonna be great and we got some wild things to talk about here so before we get into anything i want to just say a very happy canada day and a very happy independence day to our friends across the border uh because they're a couple days apart there so uh Uh, You know, I don't want to get too patriotic on here. I know there's a little bit of controversy that's going around in Canada right now. I shouldn't say a little bit. Let me not undersell that. There's quite a bit of controversy going around in Canada right now. Um, It's it's not a secret. Um, We're not very much of a political show here, so I don't want to dive too deep into that. But I also just want to put it out there for our viewers that we're not ignorant to what's going on in the world either. Yeah, it's a real tough time, I think, for... Canadians to, you know, stand up and it, you, I, you know, growing up, I remember it used to be a real sense of pride to say like, oh, you know, we're very different from other countries and we don't have such a sordid past. And, you know, as you get older, you kind of learn that mm, that's not really true. Our, our, you know, roots are kind of stained in a lot of dirt and, and blood as well. And we're seeing that with so many of these residential school graves that are being uncovered now. And it's really disturbing. And what I am hopeful, and this is only the opinion of one, you know, white Canadian, you know, white European mutt that, you know, came to this country, you know, being as part of a, a long line of, you know, colonizing white Europeans to say that it is painful to kind of have a hard dose of reality to say that, you know, Our country has a lot of work to do in making things right and making sure that this is recognized as part of our history. And that's not to say that 
we cannot be proud of our country, but it is important to recognize when we have made mistakes and when we have committed very terrible acts that have caused an entire nation of people to be devastated and hurt by those actions. And although we today can't say that we were firsthand contributors, we are responsible for saying, okay, we can't hide this anymore. We refuse to hide it. We are here to show that this happened. We acknowledge the pain. We acknowledge the trauma that was caused, and we will be better moving forward, and we will do our best to make things better. So I don't think I'm speaking out of turn to say that, you know, you guys counted out, and of course myself personally, we stand with all the indigenous people of Canada and throughout the world, but especially Canada on this uh, day of, of recognition of our, of our country in that we, f we see you, we hear you, we feel your pain, and we will do everything we can so that future generations will understand that we stand together. We need to start the healing process, and part of that is recognizing the hurt that has been caused. So while, again, I, I'm not going to speak on behalf, I'll say that in terms of this being a Canada Day list, I think it's important to, you know, consider this a, a, a little bit of escapism, and that's all this is. And, you know, while we know we have a long way to go, I think that we are just going to take a little bit of time out to look at oh, some good things that Canadians have done uh, in, you know, as a way to kind of escape some of the harsh harsh reality that we have had to face head on um long overdue but definitely um definitely upsetting and troubling and we uh we all feel very deeply for those affected by it all right i think you just said it perfectly adam that was that was absolutely perfect um you know and and I, i'm gonna go to a, a person that is a hero of mine is gore downey uh, you know, Gore Downey said, you know, we need to be better. We need to make Canada better over the next hundred years. There's a lot of, there's been a lot of, a lot of neglect and a lot of, a lot of places that were, you know, we've always been trained to just ignore it. Just, you know, and we can't anymore. And uh, counted out, uh, uh, Mike has made a donation to the, the Cheney Wenjing Fund, which, uh, which I'm very proud of for that. And I think that's how I'm going to celebrate my Canada days by, by, by sitting down, having a nice glass of whiskey. And I'm going to listen to The Secret Path by Gord Downing and, and just try to pay respects to, to, to everybody. And, and you know what I mean? And, and to, to bring some light to, to the people that are ignored. 100%. 100%. I think that that's a, a good way to go. And uh, now that we've kind of discussed some serious stuff, maybe we should kind of kick back and just yeah. take a break from it for a minute. Now it's time to piss off everybody with my talk list. Talk some wrestling. Let's talk a little <laughs> wrestling there. So... This week, I have been tasked with counting down the top seven title reigns by Canadians. Now, I want to clarify something here. Yes. These are single title reigns. Well, now, there could be tag teams as well, as long as both members of the team are Canadian. 
So good clarification. But what I mean is that you're talking about a single championship run. Yes. So, so you would not be able to say like Bret Hart is at the top of this list because he's the greatest WWF champion of all time with five combined reigns. And, no, and- we, we'd have to pick one of those. Like, you know what I mean? Now, now maybe multiple ones of those reigns could be on there. Now, that's what I was going to say. So with this potentially being about a specific reign, you could, in theory, have the same person on this list more than once. I mean, Bret Hart could be on all seven spots here between his world title and IC title reigns. If I may kind of start things off with a little bit of a hot take that will either get your listeners fired up to listen for more or make them turn it off right now. If we're going to compare lists, I'm going to tell you right off the bat with mine, no Bret Hart, no Edge, no Chris Jericho on my okay. list. I, uh, I won't spoil mine, but... Uh... No, no, of course not. I, I don't think I that. have the liberty of doing that as the guest and the, That's the, it. the, the, the pot stirrer in this episode. Well, before we get to my number seven, I want to do something that I don't normally do. And I want to talk about, um, very quickly, three title reigns that I, I couldn't put on the list because I think too soon to tell. And, okay. and, and I want to go, first of all, let's go to your neck of the woods here with uh, the X Division champion in, in Impact Wrestling, Josh Alexander. Oh, okay. Now, I I think if ah, oh, we're starting this, we're starting this off great, man. This I, this is the way to start it. <laughs> I mean, this guy, if they if they really like get behind him the way that they have gotten behind him and continue to push this and let him hold on to that belt and keep putting on the quality level of matches that he's been putting on, this guy could go down as being the greatest exhibition champion next to AJ Styles. I couldn't agree with you more, but. <laughs> I'm going to say this for a long time. I was convinced that I knew who was going to dethrone Kenny Omega for the impact world championship. And then a very good friend of mine, very smart man, put a bug in my ear about maybe impact has flip flopped a little bit. And they suspect Alexander will not hold the X division title much longer because they think they may be grooming him for a top guy spot. And I mean, honestly, fantastic would not be a bad choice. <laughs> I mean, I think I just wanted to mention Josh Alexander because he's been awesome lately, doing us proud local boy from our neck of the woods, which is great. Uh, really, really kicking some ass there. You mentioned another name, and we have to talk about him right now, Kenny Omega. Absolutely. Uh, the guy has been the talk of the wrestling world for about six months now. Three world championships and, and three different kind of, uh, promotions. Two different, you know, he's a AAA champion in Mexico, your Impact Wrestling World Champion, and your AEW World Champion. I've enjoyed his run so far, but again, too soon to make a list. But I just want to tip my cap and and say that I've enjoyed what he's doing so far. Yeah, me too. I know that um, one of the criterion that I had when kind of crafting my own version of the list was historical significance. And of course, time will tell, and I think it is too soon to put his current reign on the list, but if it has some substantial legs to it in terms of length, you know, having a guy hold on to three respected world championships simultaneously is a big deal. I don't think it's been done since Vader did it. Yeah. You're probably right about that. So I think that you're right. You do this list in a year, five years, 10 years, Kenny probably makes it somewhere higher up. Uh, I think if he has not already, uh, which we will see. Uh, but 
Yeah, the guy's got to be in the conversation. I think yeah. he's definitely in the conversation in terms of of the greatest Canadian wrestlers of all time. Honestly. I couldn't agree with you more. Mike just probably threw his phone on the ground hearing that, but suck it, Mike. It's not wrong. <laughs> uh, and you're on the topic of three belts here. Yes. Now, I have to mention a gentleman, and the title reigns were nothing special, but my God, did he make our country proud. And we got to go to Calgary. Alberta, Alberta Canada. Canada. Lance Storm. I wanted to put him on Me my too. list so bad because of this. Me too. I, I wanted to put him on my never, number seven spot so bad, but I couldn't. But we have to talk about it. This guy came in, basically won three titles in about a week and a half, yeah. renamed them all. He had the United States Championship, which he renamed the Canadian title. He had the Cruiserweight title, which he renamed the 100 kilogram and under championship yes. and then he renamed the hardcore title the saskatchewan hardcore international title that's awesome <laughs> like that's awesome uh and then you've got your vince russo spin where that uh breaks down to shit uh, if you take the first letter of all that well you know? yeah of course because i thought the person who holds the belt they're the shit right <laughs> that's, that's right well, meant, especially right? when you have all three of them and you know what though the, the one point i want to make about lance storm here because all the title runs were short here there was nothing crazy about them he ended up giving away half the titles to his the worst team canada in the history of team canada's but he had a match with booker t that people believed that he was going to win that world title and that's awesome so for that i have to tip my cap to mr lance storm not to mention that the length of his reign as the u.s slash canada champion is really in question because when you do your research on it he dropped the title to terry funk at a house show in amarillo texas that's right. But some recognize that championship win and others don't because I think he picked it up about a, a you know a day later or a few days later. Yeah, so that's right. Depending on who you talk to, it was a really long reign or it was a really short reign for the US championship. Impressive, but not nearly as impressive as I think you and I are going to get with some of these reigns because one of the criteria I had, the most important criteria, was length of reign. Okay. Obviously, that makes a big deal. I did not put a single reign under 200 days wow. on my list, both okay. the top seven and my honorable mentions. So okay. That, sh- that should give you a little bit of a hint as to some of the more obscure names that are going to show up on this list. I still think they deserve it, but we'll- we may talk about that later. Now, it's funny because I'm going to say that I didn't put as much thought into length, but most of my title reigns are lengthy ones. Um right. Well, let's just start with number seven then. I, for me, I went with memorability. Like, you know, like what what was memorable about these title reigns? And and I don't think a lot of people are going to agree with my number one, especially. But I'm going to try to sell you on it. I have a I have a good history of selling people on my number ones. I don't know if I'm going to be able to do it this time, but let's, let's start with our number seven, and let's go back to your neck of the woods and Impact Wrestling. We're going to talk about the 256 day title reign of Mr. Robert Roode as the Impact World Heavyweight Champion. Well, let me just say, Tyler, that uh, you're off to a great start because I also had Bobby Roode, the it factor, at my number seven on my list as well. October 26, 2011 to July 8, 2012, 256 days. Uh, one of the things that I obviously talked about... Longest company history, by the way. Yes, that's, that's what I was going to talk about, is that there is an X factor, uh, a, a championship importance and historical significance, and that is... What Bobby Roode has with this championship reign, this obviously I think is some of the best work of his career outside of his work with James Storm as part of Beer Money. Now you said you said there was an X factor. Was it an it factor or an X factor? I don't know. 
it was both. Let me look tell at, you. Look at me pulling out my Impact Wrestling here. Honestly, I think the reign would have been longer had it not been for the sudden and meteoric rise of Austin Aries yeah. in the company in 2012. Because that guy just got so popular with that crowd so fast that Impact couldn't ignore it. And they had to put the championship on him. I honestly think they would have kept the belt on Rude right up until you know, next year's Bound for Glory, where he was, I would assume, have dropped it to James Storm because that's the big money story they had built between those two. Yeah, um, well, that's, which that's did right at the beginning, right? Phenomenal match, exactly. Great um, heel turn to start off his title reign, absolutely. Yep. Uh, I like even before that, though, when he, he won the Bound for Glory series to even get that title opportunity, and everyone thought, okay, here's the guy that's going to beat Kurt Angle. His Great time. swerve booking. Having yep. Angle go over and then having James Storm beat Angle out of nowhere. And, and I love those seeds of planning for that heel turn. You know, yeah. he had uh, great matches with James Storm. Then uh, after the heel turn, he went on to beat AJ Styles, Jeff Hardy, started a feud with Sting, which was a lot of fun, RVD, Mr. Anderson. And then you mentioned losing the belt to Austin Aries, which did something that I looked at in my criteria, created a new star or helped build and establish a new main event player there. And yeah, you know, it wasn't a long run for it, but it got him over. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I had to get rid of somebody on the list that I really, 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 really wanted on the list. Me too. And it it pained me to put them off. And we can talk about that a bit later. But let's be honest, uh, to steal a phrase from his later years, that title reign was absolutely glorious. I'll take it. I'll take it. So we're off to a good start here, and now we're going to start disagreeing because uh, you mentioned that this man is not on your list at all. But for my number six, I am going with Chris Jericho's AEW World title run. Okay. You're going to have to sell me on this one, but I am curious to hear what you have to say about it. So he was 155 days as the champion, beat Hangman Page in the tournament final. Now, I think, and Mike and I have fought about this a lot on the show, I think that Chris Jericho was the perfect choice to be your first Impact. See, we talk so much Impact, I'm talking Impact all the time now. Your first AEW World Champion. Uh, At the time especially, he was the internet fanboy, which was their little market, uh, but he's an established mainstream superstar. You know what I mean? He's in that A level. He's one of those A-plus players that people believe in. Jericho formed the inner circle, right off the get-go, and then that helped get talent like Sammy Guevara over. And I'm going to say LAX as well, because at that time, Impact's ratings weren't very high. And not a lot of people knew who LAX slash Santana and Ortiz were. So, you know, pairing these guys up with Jericho gave them instant credibility. Then he went on to have feuds with guys like um, Darby Allin, Scorpio Sky, and Jungle Boy. And I don't care what anybody says, those three guys got put over to another level because of Jericho also. Jericho was very giving to those guys. The first time he got pinned in AEW was to Scorpio Sky. Then they had a fun world title match where people believed that Sky might beat him. Uh, Darby Allen had a war with Jericho. Jericho made him look like a million bucks, got him over to a bigger audience. I did not know who Darby Allen was before this. I didn't care who he was before I saw him and Jericho have a brutal war. And I was like, wow, like, this guy, this guy's hanging with Chris Jericho. It impressed me. And then, of course, Jungle Boy. They had a great, that little fun program. You couldn't beat, I could beat you in 10 minutes. Like, they, they got Jungle Boy over again. So, to me, that is a huge, 
huge criteria of a world champion is getting talent over while still carrying on as your title reign, you know? And then you go to his little, yeah, that little program with Cody Rhodes where you can never challenge for the title again. And then they had that fun program with John Moxley where they tried to get him to join the inner circle. They smashed the, the bottles on their heads. Like, and then Moxley finally beat him. It was time for Moxley. I think it was a very successful run for Chris Jericho. I definitely think it was a successful run for Chris Jericho. I think that the whole run of Jericho as the first ever AEW champion was very successful for Chris Jericho and for AEW in general, having him as the first champion is the, is the way to go. The established star power makes your company look bigger, but honestly, I'm so glad that you mentioned all those names that the dude beat and, you know, had a program with because outside of Cody and Moxley, I don't remember anything that that guy did during that time frame. And I think that's a big reason why it's hard for me to put him on this list because the length of the run is just a cup of coffee compared to what everybody else was doing on my list. And again, it didn't make a huge of enough impact for me to put him there and say like, ah, it's really, you know, really going to go down the history books as one of the all time greats. I mean, yes, it was important for AEW's history, history of Canadian wrestling overall, and eh, not going to cut it for me. But right, I, you, you, made some, you made some good points on there, but you didn't sell me on that one. You know, if you take a look at the names that I mentioned, um, Sammy Guevara is poised to be one of the top babyface in the company right now. I don't think that happens without Jericho. Jungle Boy is in a feud with their world champion right now. Jericho gave him that first exposure. Darby Allin, former TNT world champion. For me, uh, and on top of the great promo work that Jericho was doing at this time as well, because his promo work was fantastic at the beginning of his title reign, for me, it helped build a company bigger than what it was before he was the champion. And that's an important criteria to me. I'm going to say something maybe a little controversial to some, but I truly believe this. I don't think it's a coincidence that Jericho looks at these guys and says, I want to work with these guys. I think there is an intrinsic X factor about all the names that you just mentioned, but especially the Darby Allens, the Jungle Boys, and then later on, the Orange Cassidy's of yeah, AEW. That's right. that's right. It's very easy to look at those guys and say, they got it, whatever yeah. it may be. So I think that while I do understand your point, I think there's also a lot of credit that needs to be maybe necessarily taken away from Jericho, but I don't think he necessarily gets as much credit for putting those guys over so much as being smart enough to know when a talent is going to be hot oh, 100%. and position himself to work with those guys. And that's genius. So, but you know what though? Jericho doesn't need to give those guys anything. He's Chris Jericho. And all in honesty, if he came in there and said, I want to steamroll these guys, who's going to argue with him? I agree. I'm just saying that I don't think it, it, I don't think it was Jericho giving these guys the rub. I think they would have gotten where they are even without Jericho. Mm, I think maybe some of them would have, but they wouldn't have got there as fast as they did, I don't think. I, I think Jericho was a big factor to get these guys over. We're going to have to be at an impasse on that one. I All right, think, I'll take it. I don't it. think I'll I'm going to convince you, and you're going to convince me on that one. Well, how about we go to number five here, and this one is, is going to put a big smile on Mike's face, and we are going to the 595-day AWA World Championship run of Mr. Rick Martell. Wow. I, I totally deep. missed this one, but I I like it, though. I like it. Tell me why this one's on the list. Well, first of all, because he's the model, and he's the best. Sure. 
Uh, Rick Martel, though, so the AWA is a company that everybody just forgets about. And I, lately, I've just absolutely loved the AWA. I've gone back. There are so many obscure matches in AWA history. Uh, you know, like, there, Strike Force fight the High Flyers, who's Jim Brunzel and Greg Gagne. Like, I don't remember Strike Force being in the AWA. Like, the Road Warriors, great run there. And Rick Martel, you know, I don't think he was as impactful as a world champion as they were hoping to be. But this guy had some fantastic matches against some fantastic people in this company. And in a company that is dominated by Vern Gagne and Nick Bockwinkle, Rick Martel had the third longest reign in the company's history behind only those two guys, which is crazy if you think about it. It's um, awesome. Mike will get a pop out of this because I can never pronounce names, but he beat Jumbo Trusuda for the belt. Saruda. Saruda, thank you. Saruda. I, I can't do is, it. The T is silent. <laughs> I can't do it. I can't do it. Uh, and he's a huge name in, in yes, Japan. Very well-respected name, despite me not knowing how to pronounce it. Literally um, and figuratively a huge absolutely, name. <laughs> absolutely. Uh, so, you know, and that's another thing I like about the AWA. They always had these guys come in from different countries. And when the Otto Wants uh, out of Germany won the title, Jumbo wins the title here. Uh, Mad Dog Vachon, another Canadian, great championship reigns in the AWA. So he beats Jumbo, and then he goes on to have these fantastic matches against names like Jimmy Garvin, Bob Backlin, the Freebirds, Nick Bockwinkle, Mr. Saito, Jerry Lawler, Larry Zabisco. Like, those are all Hall of Fame names. 100%. All Hall of Fame names. And, uh, and then his biggest match as a champion would be over in Japan. It was title-for-title title match where him and Ric Flair fought for the NWA World Championship against the AWA World Championship. Shockingly enough, it ended in a double countout. What? I couldn't believe there was no clean finish to that one. But that was a hell of a match, too, that the crowd was really hot for. Very, very underlooked title reign by one Mr. Rick Martell. I have to admit, I am a little disappointed in my own research abilities that I completely missed that one. Looking back on my own list, I think I would have to do some restructuring based on that sell job. So, honestly, I think you did too good of a job because now my thought is... Shoot, why isn't this guy higher on the list? <laughs> and then, of course, he would go on to lose the title to the wild man, Stan Hansen. Um, I was listening to doing a bit of research on this, and I was listening to the Bruce Pritchard podcast, so I'm taking it with a grain of salt because I don't know how much I believe in him. But Martel actually got offered the chance to go to the WWF earlier, uh, and they, they, the big lure there was to go on a tour of Japan with Andre the Giant. And, and Vern said, well, stay here. I want to make you the champion. And he's like, well, I'm going to stay here and be the champion. Like, this was at a time when being the world champion meant something, too. You know Absolutely. what I mean? So, so to have a, a almost 600-day title reign in one of the biggest companies in the world at that time, th good job, Rick Martel. Yeah, I think, yeah, I would definitely have to change my, my list. And he'd be a lot higher on my list than he would be on yours. So, all right, man, now you've got me hooked. Let's move on to the next one and see if you can keep the momentum going. All right, my next one, we're going to the world of Ring of Honor. And we're going to one Mr. Kevin Steen and his 328 days as the champion. Yeah, this one made my honorable mentions. Again, mostly due to the lower numbers compared to some of the others on my list. But 100%, this is an impressive title run. One of the longest reigning in Ring of Honor history. Mm -hmm. um, Top five, I think. And yet I always forget about it. And I know. I, that's and that's not be and that's not to say anything negatively about Kevin Steen slash Owens. It's just that 
I think that there was two things working against him, and that's number one. This isn't remembered as one of the best periods in Ring of Honor. They yeah. had good stuff at the time, but I think there was a lot of political stuff happening behind the scenes that muddled the waters for yeah, fans, myself absolutely. in particular. And also, I think that when you, again, and this is the problem with why he's not on my list, compared to things like the McGinnis run, the Joe run, the Danielson run, it's like, it's kind of hard to stack them up against those when their other numbers are so impressive. See, this is why I like Steen's run because it was so much different than all of those runs. You know what I mean? All those runs that you just mentioned focused 100% on in-ring work. You know what I mean? And that's what Ring of Honor has been built on. So now you've got Kevin Steen coming in and he's doing this crazy character where he's feuding with the management. He's in this feud with Jim Cornette. Uh, You know, he'd been gone off TV for a year before he came back. uh, And he gets his title shot against Davey Richards in Toronto to become the champion. And he was the first ever Canadian Ring of Honor champion, by the way. Uh, I actually piece of history. uh, Then he went on to form a, a very underrated stable, as far as I'm concerned, the Scum Stable with Steve Carino and Jimmy Jacobs, which I was a big Anything fan of. Anything with Steve Carino gets a thumbs up in my Absolutely. Book. We uh, we actually reached out to Steve Carino to come on our show, and he replied to us and just said very politely, just said, "Hey, I don't. I, I like to be behind the scenes now." But he was so nice, like Good I just Canadian uh, boy with a absolutely. nice, polite answer. Right? Absolutely, huge pop for Steve Carino on the he- reply alone. He would make it high on on a list that I think we should do next year for around this time, which is the, I think I would love to do the top seven uh, undercover Canadians. Yeah, because you know what? I forgot, and I would have even looked at his NWA title reign and his ECW title reign. I forgot that he's a great undercover Canadian. I I agree with that. Well, like him and Uncle Ivan, you know, the Russian Russian Canadian bear. That's it, yeah. There's plenty of wrestlers out there who come from the great white north that a lot of people are surprised about because no one's ever really acknowledged that they're Canadian. So I think Rowdy Piper. Well, hey, now let's not spoil the list if we do it next year. I'm just (laughs) saying, I think that would make a pretty good list. The seven undercover Canadians. (laughs) I like that, actually. Uh, Some matches, some notable matches from his title reign. Davey Richards again, Eddie Edwards, Eddie Kingston. Rhino, a match that I was actually at live, which was awesome, uh, against Michael Elgin, which was in Mississauga, Ontario. They really tore the house down. And then, of course, the big one, the ladder war with El Generico. Those guys, you, you, we could do a whole list just on those guys alone and their rivalry and their tag team. Uh, just fantastic stuff. One of the best ladder matches in Ring of Honor history. And then uh, he beat Jay Lethal after that with a very controversial angle where he actually spat on Jay Lethal's mother which I had forgotten about as well. And, and I forgot how intense that feud was. And then he went on to lose it to Mr. Ring of Honor, Jay Briscoe. Uh, so the last thing I have about this title reign is that I just like it because Steen was so wild and unpredictable as a champ. Great promos, but he kept up that level of main event quality matches that Ring of Honor was known for. So I got to say this was a big successful title run as far as I was concerned. There's no question it was 100% successful. I will agree with that 100%. I still don't think I can agree with it. Um, and now, of course, Martell's the measuring stick for me. <laughs> I can't, I don't think I could put it above Martell's reign. I, I just don't think that it had the, the kind of legs in terms of the historical significance and the memorabilia that a lot of the other ones on this list, mine especially, are going to have. But 
it's a good choice, and it definitely made an honorable mention on my list. So it's a good pick, and if anybody you know is not familiar with Kevin Owens' prior WWE work, this time frame from Ring of Honor is a real good showcase of how versatile a performer he was. That's right, and if you want to see him versus Tyler Black on a episode of our watch-along, then head over to our YouTube page where uh, myself and friend of the show, Blake McMillan, did a watch-along after a few cocktails watching Tyler Black and Kevin Steen. He was not a fan of the match, and it really came across. That's Don't even different. watch the match. Just listen to the commentary. Tyler Blitzed is a, you know, worth the price of admission. That's itself. right. That's right. You get the right number of cottage springs in me, and it's go time, baby. Uh, all right. So unfortunately, top three now. Yeah, is, I, I don't. I think this three. is. I don't think that you are gonna like any of my top three, to be honest. At least two of my top three, I know you're not gonna like. All and right. it's gonna start right here with the number three. The only person to make my list twice is Chris Jericho. Sir, if you say what I think you're about to say. I am going with his WCW Cruiserweight title reign from January 24th, 1998 to, depending on what conspiracy theory, depending on what conspiracy theory you believe, to either May 17th or August 8th. I I would, originally I wanted this one on my list too. This is a great title reign, and this one you can make an argument for deserves maybe somewhere, again, on the lower end of the scale. I thought you were going to say his undisputed world championship reign, which no, I... That's not even an honorable miss. mention. Thank goodness, because no. I think that is really overhyped, and really, it's a... It's a, it's, it, they, it was the WWE sprinkling their history dust on it, which it really was not that big of a deal, nor what did I think it was successful. The total opposite of this run that I think did, in fact, give Chris Jericho the opportunity to become a star. I, yeah, I was just going to say, this, this was the, the start of Chris Jericho getting to show the wrestling world that he was more than just a great worker. Uh, brand new heel turn here. He beats Rey Mysterio for the championship at sold out, then attacks him with a toolbox and puts him out of action for about eight months. You're off to a pretty good start there because Rey is one of the big baby faces in the company. Then the next month he goes on to beat Juventud Guerrera and takes his mask, which is huge. And, and that match, by the way, is so good. Underrated. It's, one of those, it's one of those lost treasures in the, in the long career of Jericho that everyone forgets about. But man, that match, those guys really tore it down. And that kind of started his little new gimmick that he did where he was collecting trophy pieces. Uh, he took Prince Iaka's little Hawaiian robe. He took Disco Inferno's headband. He, he would have Juventude's mask on, which was absolutely hilarious. Then he went on to start this absolutely amazing feud with Dean Malenko. With my, one of the greatest promos of all time, the man of a thousand and four holds, Armbar. My favorite ever feud in WCW history. Yeah. Is Dean uh, Malenko and Chris Jericho. It's so good. You know what I mean? Uh, he beats Dean Malenko at Uncensored. We got to see Joe Malenko involved, which I'm a huge mark of. And if you head over, plug that YouTube page again. Steve Bourne and I just did a watch along of the British Bulldogs versus Joe and Dean Malenko. It will be up. Next week, uh, All Japan Pro Wrestling. It's one of the best tag team matches you've ever seen in your life. So I can't wait for everybody to see that. Um, and then, you know, the little things that Jericho did. Just calling people these funny names. J.J. Dillon is now Jojo Dillon. Moving to Guerrero is Quasi Juice. Uh, Dean Malenko is Stinko Malenko, which rolled right in to another one of the greatest promos of all time when he announced all of the participants in the Slamboree Battle Royal 
which I am going to plug in right now. Coming out first from Xochimilco, Mexico. If you notice this guy's hat never comes off. He's the master of trick track, the master of defunct. He is Super Calo. Look at those moves, ladies and gentlemen. He's got about a one in 10 chance of winning, maybe. Coming up next from El Paso, Mexico. Oh. This guy used to be a great bartender, but hasn't translated to his wrestling skills. He's the scourge of the illustrious Guerrero family. He is Chavo Guerrero Jr. Maybe a two out of 10 chance of winning. Coming out next from Mexico, this is a rags the riches story from selling chimichangas on the streets to WCW, Ciclope. Now we got Damien, he can't afford a mask, he's using paint, but sooner or later, he's gonna buy a mask, I'm guaranteeing you that. Here we go, the winner of the Lou Ferrigno lookalike contest, this guy's also from Mexico, El Dandy. Coming up next, he's the World Welter Light Featherweight Pacer Champion. He is El Grillo. Now this guy pulled up in a nice rusted out 68 El Camino Chevy. He's the ugliest man in our sport today. He's the illustrious Quasi-Juice Guerrera. A former champion in many countries. He's gonna rock, rock till he drops. Rock, rock, never stop, Marty Giannetti, ladies and gentlemen. Coming out next from Allentown, PA. He is a lost and lonely soul. His name is Kidman. And Kidman, I got some calamine lotion for you after the show. This guy's the true shooter of WCW. Does he have a chance? Zero out of ten. No way. He's having courageous, ladies and gents. Oh, yeah. Straight from Minneapolis, Minnesota. Oh, yeah. I want my lover tape. Loverboy tape back Lenny Lane. And of course we got Psychosis. He's got a lot of hubcaps in his collection. If you need one, we'll procure you one for you after the show. This guy is Silver King. If he wins 12 more matches, he'll be upgraded to Golden King. This guy is Johnny Singer. Johnny, Johnny Swinger. You ever heard of this guy? I haven't. Zero out of 10 chance of winning. No chance. And last but last least, Representing the Yano's 1 through 62 from the illustrious Miano family, he is Miriano. Four! Ladies and gentlemen, those are your contestants in tonight's battle royal. I'm going to the back for a coffee because none of these guys will ever, ever beat me for my belt. It still holds up to this day. Well, I'll say this if you're going to put that in there, you might as well also throw in the, the monstrous pop that Dean Malenko receives when he pulls off the Cyclope mask and reveals himself to be Cyclope, the crowd went absolutely bananas for Dean Malenko because they were so invested in this story. Is that the pop that I'm playing right now? Wait a minute, wait a minute. Cyclope, what's he doing here? He's unmasking. He's unmasking. That's not Cyclope! Look at that! Dean Malenko! He's back! The man of a thousand holes! Have you ever seen him with this acceleration? But 
Don't sing about this man the way he's talking about his father who's passed away. Jericho, you're in deep, deep doo-doo tonight, pal. That would be the pop, yes. That, would that be, is correct. I that think that pop. pop and the the Austin pop when uh, when he comes out to help Foley win the belt are the two biggest crowd pops of all time. It's so great. And that's the thing. Like, It was such an engaging story because you had these guys who, on paper, probably should not have gelled as well as they did, but it was their differences that made them so electric to watch. And honestly, they couldn't have told a better story. Those two guys, again, it's my favorite storyline in WCW history. So yeah, yeah, it's hard for me to like go to battle with you on this one because it's so good in terms of the content. I couldn't put it on just because, again, sheer length of time, it didn't measure up. But man, in terms of content, boy, howdy, did they ever pack a lot into a little bit of time. Yeah, and it's not over from this point now because this is where you get Jericho going to like Washington and and having these protests. This is a conspiracy theory. You're out to get me. Uh, he's looking up rulings and libraries and in the DC like the famous DC libraries, and it works because they vacate the title and Jericho ends up getting it back. So this is where you get questionable about the length of the title reign, right? Then he would go on to lose the belt to Rey Mysterio. But because of another loophole, another conspiracy, he gets the belt back again. Like, this is classic heel work. This is what made Chris Jericho a star, in my opinion. Uh, The the fact that it's still so fondly looked back on almost 20 years later is the reason why this made my list. And not not for the length of it. I, I I couldn't go for just length on some of these title reigns because I just think that the memorableness of this reign overshadows the length of, and I'll even say Rick Martel's title reign, because we forgot about it. I forgot about it also. It wasn't on my original list, but we didn't forget about this title reign. I'll still fight you on Ricky. I'll, keep, <laughs> I'll, put still, I'll still put Ricky over top of Jericho, only because the argument I would make is that that's not our era. Fair. Obviously, you and I are going to have a more, uh, more recent bias and a, a greater fondness for the Jericho stuff, because it was during a time frame in which wrestling, I mean, for me personally, was all-consuming. So I, I definitely, if we had grown up in the era of Martel, I think you and I would have been sitting there going like, ah, nobody better than Ricky Martel, eh? Don't know why I put the Quebec accent on there, but I did to honor my <laughs> boy, Ricky. So uh, I'll still stand, I'll, I'll still put Ricky over Jericho, but I'll say this. You make a strong case that I may have made another mistake in leaving Jericho off my list. Now I'm on the list. I'm on now the you're, list. You just made the list. I just made the list. Well, my number two is one that I know you will disagree with. Okay. And it was one that I originally didn't have this on my list at all. And I, I had it in my number one spot up until actually about four minutes ago. And I'm, <laughs> I'm moving it to my number two spot right now. And, and it's a it's a title reign that it didn't make my first seven. And then the more that I went back and, and thought about it and, and researched it and read about it and watched some classic matches, it, it's one of my favorite title reigns of all time. And I'm going uh, March 20th, 1994, Bret Hart's second world title reign with the WWF world title. He wins the belt at WrestleMania 10, goes on to hold the belt for 248 days as the champion. This is on my honorable mentions. Uh, I would not put this uh, as high as you did for sure. Obviously, it didn't even make my list. But I will say this. 
of all the Bret Hart reigns you could have picked, you definitely did pick the best one. Uh, this reign is on here because his feud with Owen Hart is one of my personal favorite wrestling storylines of all time. And so this is more of a favor, a more of a homer pick for me. But let's just take a look at it right from the moment that he won the belt. And he's got all the top baby faces giving him that moment. That's a WrestleMania moment. You know what I mean? And then you get Owen come out and give him that look. You know, it should be me. What about me? What about me? And then we're off to the races, man. You know, we we get rolling here. Um, King of the Ring against Kevin Nash. They had a great match with an even better angle with Jim Neidhart coming back to equalize Shawn Michaels. But in reality, Owen has just hired him to make sure Brett keeps the belt. You know what I yeah. mean? We got King Owen. Some say it's the greatest cage match of all time. I don't think so. But Brett and, Owen, Brett and Owen at SummerSlam is still a great match. It's a great, like, don't get me wrong. It's a great cage match. Best of all time? No. No, definitely not. Second greatest Canadian title reign ever? No. But, you well, know. Well, I, I told God. you, this one's more of a homer pick for me. Uh, That's fair. And, and you I, know what? I have a feeling some people are going to see more than a little bias in my list. So (laughs) I'm not going to throw some stones just yet. I will tell you this, though. If Bret Hart was the world champion at the beginning of WrestleMania 10 for that first match, this would be my number one. (laughs) (laughs) Because Bret and Owen at WrestleMania 10. Two two hours makes all the difference for this for me. Because that match, Bret and Owen at WrestleMania 10, is one of my favorite matches of all time. And if he was the champion for it, uh, there's no way I could not put this on. Uh, but I like this angle because then we get guys like the British Bulldog back in the fold here, right? They had so many fun tag matches during this run. Bretton Bulldog against Owen, and and uh, and that's the Canadian pride in me. You know what I mean? That's all Stampede boys doing what they do. So so yeah, I'm I'm pulling the Canadian card on this one. I'm pulling my favorites out on this one. Uh, he ended up at losing the belt to Bob Backlund, who he yeah, had a fantastic yeah. match with at Superstars you, also. You, you want to talk about pulling names out of the hat, like making Bob Backlund rele- a relevant top name again. Top after, heel in the know, company. That's what I'm saying, right? Like, yeah, and I agree. Like, the string of matches Brett had during this time was very, very good. I'll definitely say that, again, of his title reigns, this one's probably the best one. I think so, too. And that's why I made the list. I know everybody's yelling at me. 97, 97. Come on, man. The Canadian. Listen, from a promo standpoint, that is yes. some of Bret Hart's His best, best character work. work 100%. The title reign was shit. He was mean, overshadowed by Taker when, and Sean the whole time. When he's facing the likes of <coughs> the ring Patriot. legends like Del Wilkes. Yeah. And past his prime vader <laughs> yeah it's like come on you're you know he's in a flag match with the bulldog against the patriot invader while michaels and taker are tearing the house down in hell in the cell yeah i mean yeah it's, it's just not again you're right character work yes absolutely best time but i would argue that like you could say even that was long before he won the belt though so yeah I, yeah i yeah. i agree this rain is the rain if you're going to put a bret hart rain on your list which I would not, but it is your list, sir. So, all right, we've so, gone. We've had a little bit of a mixed bag up to this point. So, I'm let's all see over can, the place. Let's see if you can take it home and finish strong. I am going with the. Oh, I didn't write down the number of days of this title reign. I know you have it. I'm sure you do. It is the NWA World Championship title reign of Gene Kanitsky. I believe he was like the champ for four years there, three, three and a half years. 1,131 days as the man 
And one of the things that I had as a criteria, aside from length of reign, was importance of the championship during the run. And let's be honest, from January 7th, 1966 to February 11th, 1969, the NWA World Heavyweight Championship was the belt that made you the best in yep. the world. Absolutely. And for, like you said, and for all, for three years, it was around the glorious knuckle waist of Gene Kanitsky, Canada's and greatest athlete. That's right. Just ask him. He'll tell you. And I think it's so cool that Kanitsky's last few matches were tagging up with guys like Jericho and Storm, too, which is really Absolutely. cool to me. Uh, but, you know, he beat Luthez, who's the greatest end of, you know, Probably the, the the in my opinion the second greatest NWA world champion of all time. I'm I'm biased to Flair. Um, just look at these names: Bobo Brazil, Dick the Bruiser, Johnny Valiant, Bill Watts, Edward Compantier, Pat O'Connor, Terry and Dory Funk, uh, Don Leo Johnson, uh, Bearcat Wright, John Tools, Chris Tools, Abdul the Butcher, Haystack Calhoun. Uh, yeah, like that's. You know, I don't know what else I can say. He toured. Great, uh, tons of other great underrated Canadians in that list as well. Absolutely. Well, he he was really big in bringing the belt around Vancouver a lot and, and giving a presence over there, right? Right. So. And then he just, you know, obviously, like anybody would, he got burnt out after three years as the champ, and, and he lost to Dory Funk Jr., which is, you know, no, no shame in that at all, right? <laughs> but to, to hold that belt for three years and travel the world and defending it at that time period, it proves that you're one of the best in the world. That's my number one. Fight me. Uh, I can't, sir. I'm, I'm in your corner on this one because that's my number one as well. Perfect. I mean, you can't. You can't look at these and just say from a number standpoint, from a, hist- from a title standpoint, from a history significance, significance standpoint, Kanitsky's got it all over. Yeah. Every other Canadians. We bow down. Yes, sir. You are not the only one that will tell us. We will tell the world. Gene Kanitsky is Canada's greatest athlete and certainly the man with the greatest professional wrestling championship reign in all of the great white north. Absolutely. Absolutely. So uh, normally at this point, Mike and I run down a bunch of honorable mentions. But instead of that, I want to hear what your seven is real quick. All right. So. Should I do it with or without my alterations now that Ricky's going to be on my <laughs> list? Uh, I want to I at least know what was on your original before Rick Martel. So before Ricky joined the list, at number six, I couldn't overlook my boys in Impact, the longest reigning Impact World Tag Team Champions of all time. We've already talked about how great he is already. Josh Alexander and all-ego all Ethan Page. The North, with 380 days mm-hmm. As tag team champions, the longest in company history, July 5th, 2019 to July 19th, 2020. These they were my original up. number seven. They yeah. Were, until, until Rick Martel came and I had to get rid of them. I mean, these guys just proved the excellence of tag team wrestling is not confined to a specific era when it comes to Canadians. And these guys were able to take on tag teams that had different styles, could do different things. And these guys were able to go ahead and stay toe-to-toe with them, give them the best matches of the night every night. When I remember when Bound for Glory came along and we had the Good Brothers and the North and the Machine Guns, I was convinced the, tags, the tag title match was going to go on last. Yeah. So I was like, look at the talent in this ring. And the North are included in that list of look at this talent. Honestly, it's crazy to think that we are possibly standing on a precipice of an age in which Ethan Page and Josh Alexander go on to be 
even bigger single stars than they were as a tag team because, man, as a tag team, they were incredible. And this title reign proves it. Absolutely. That was the hardest one for me to bump off, but I, I had to do it. At number five, I went to Trish Stratus and her oh. WWE Women's Championship reign from January 19th, 2005 to April 2nd of 2006. 447 days as was, champion. Was this her heel run when she was the heel, Trish? Yes, this actually spanned both a heel run and her babyface turn. She won the title by defeating Lita at New Year's Revolution when Lita injured her knee, and she dropped it to a newly healed Mickey James at WrestleMania 22 over yeah. a year later. This is a great team, right? This was a, not only a fantastic run, she had great matches with some top-tier talent at the time. We're talking Molly Hollies, we're talking Gail Kims, we're talking Victorias, but on top of that, it is some of her best character work. This was during the time when she was still doing stuff with the likes of Chris Jericho and Christian and Tomko, and she was still healing it up and proving that, yeah, as much as we love Trish Stratus, we could hate her just as much. I think she's honestly, I think she is one of the most underrated Canadian talents of all time. And I think she deserves to be in the conversation when talking about some of the best Canadian wrestlers ever. The you way know, that she tra she blazed a trail for women's wrestling, I think she deserves to be on that list. You you said that you dropped the ball with Rick Martel, and I think I might have dropped the ball by not putting Trish Stratus on here. I had her as a strong honorable mention, but I forgot how long that reign actually went. I, I, I thought that was broken up in the middle for some reason. So, yeah, you know what? I think that should be on my list. Maybe that should be my number six, and we'll, we'll boot Jericho AEW off. I, I love hearing you say that. Thank you, man. I appreciate that. Um, the next three, I think I'm going to have a few people asking about my mental state when I put this together, but hear me out on it first. Uh, I know the weather hasn't been great lately here in Canada, so we are going to put on our sunscreen and head south of the border for the next little bit, starting with a championship reign that lasted from February 9th of 2003 until May the 3rd of 2004. 450 days for the NWA Light Heavyweight Championship, the biggest championship in CMLL, the oldest wrestling promotion in all of Mexico and possibly even the world, for the Canadian Vampiro. Wow. Vampiro was the top dog in Mexico's biggest wrestling corporation for over a year. You know, we've heard stories from guys like Vampiro and Conan about how these guys were Mexican Hulk Hogan's and Ric Flair's and Randy Savage's. These guys were the top dogs. And I know that it's easy for people to kind of hand brush this stuff aside because we're not exposed to it. But the truth of the matter is CMLL and AAA are two powerhouses in the world of professional wrestling. Absolutely. That belt, the NWA Light Heavyweight Championship, carries lineage with it. It carries importance with it. And for Vampiro to be the top dog, not even like in the 90s when he was at the height of his popularity, but in 2003 to be the top dog for that long in one of the top Canadian or one of the top countries or promotions in the world, I feel like he deserves to be on there. That being said, I probably would have given this spot to Ricky if he was on. <laughs> this would have been this would have been Ricky's spot. <laughs> I like it though. That's a that's a good cut. I, I you know you just mentioned uh, those people that we forget are Canadian. Vampiro is one of those guys for me. Yeah, yeah, Thunder Bay boy. 
Yeah, yeah, he's uh, north of here. He's uh, one of those hidden gems. Yeah, that's right. A little, a little, an undercover Canadian. Undercover Canadian. That's right. Put him on next year's list. <laughs> All right, man. Well, I, I like what you got going on. What else you got? So my number three spot. We're staying in Mexico, and it's kind of going to counter contradict something you had said earlier. I'm actually going to be talking about somebody who has not yet finished his reign. But damn, if this number just isn't too impressive for me to put on the list. At number three, God, Mike Walsh, don't hate me. I'm talking about the cleaner, the best bout machine, the man from Winnipeg, Manitoba. By God, Kenny Omega, the triple A mega champion. 613 days and counting as of this recording. 613 days. Holy moly, Tyler. That's a long time. And counting. Now, will he drop that title to Andrade? Yeah, maybe. Hard to say. I'd say there's a good chance. But, again, just because we're not exposed to it doesn't mean that a championship like this, the AAA Mega Championship, which is the, some would argue, top belt in Mexico right now, AAA, again, arguably, the biggest wrestling company in Mexico. And Kenny Omega's held this thing for combined days that would almost equal two years, which is pretty unheard of these days, unless you're outside of someone like, you know, Walter, you know, or done. But this isn't a list about Europeans. This is a list about Canadians. So that's impressive to me. And, you know, some of Omega's other championship reigns may have been more impressive from a historical standpoint. One of them does end up on my honorable mentions um, or maybe from a match perspective, but the guy beat Phoenix, one of the greatest Mexican wrestlers alive today. Yep. He's continued to defend the belt every opportunity he has. And for him to hold that title as long as they have, it's still impressive just from a pure number standpoint. So I got to give it to the best bout machine on this one. Suck it, Mike. All right. <laughs> Keep rolling. I like it. All right. So my bias is really going to show here on this one. But again, right. my, my bias saying. showed on my number two as well. So number two, a person that I think is grossly underrated. And also, again, I think by the time it all is said is done, is going to be one that we're talking about on some of those greatest of all time lists. I'm going to go with La Huera Loca, Taya Valkyrie whose championship reign of the AAA Reina de Reinas Championship from August 17th, 2014 to March 19th, 2019. 945 days as the queen of all of Mexican wrestling. I knew that Taya Valkyrie was a big deal in Mexico. This list showed me how big of a deal she was. I had no idea when she first came into Mexico, she was invited into the Perros del Mas stable. And that is not, you know, that's like being invited into the horseman when you get to Atlanta. Do you know what I mean? Like that's the equivalency. And then from there, she wins this championship and reigns for that long. And again, we're talking about the top women's championship. So the top championship of her division in that country, that's a huge deal. So I felt that there was really nobody else that I could put in that number two spot. Again, she may show up a little bit later in my honorable mentions, but again, because we're not exposed to it, doesn't mean it's not as impressive. So I think 
given the global impact some of these guys have and obviously girls have, I think she deserves to be in that spot. So Taya Valkyrie is my number two pick. And then, yeah. of course, Gene Snitsky, my Gene, or Gene Snitsky. Wow, Gene. Gene. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. I might have screwed up the list there, but it wasn't my fault. <laughs> yeah. Good save. Good save. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll let you off the hook for the save there. I'll allow it. Yeah, you know what? I got to brush up on my lucha, I'm guessing, after hearing this list here because uh, pretty impressive stuff, man. I'm not going to lie. And uh, that's why I'm glad to have had you on the show this week because you definitely you definitely brought it and you gave me some stuff to think about. Uh, I got a couple honorable mentions real quick if you do as well. Yeah, that's what I wanted to get into because I'm really curious to see who got left off the list. Uh, Petey Williams' first X Division run I had on one of my honorable mentions. I thought he had a awesome. good reign. Just for a fun standpoint, uh, I really enjoyed Santino Morella's Honky Tonk Man title reign. I was really hoping his numbers would have been longer because that was honestly some of the most entertaining stuff in the WWE at that time. Uh, Kevin Owens' NXT run was fun, his NXT title reign. Two names I'm just going to mention, Mad Dog Vachon for the AWA title reigns. I don't know much about them, but I just love Mad Dog Vachon. Uh, Ripper Billy Watson for his NWA world title reign as well. Uh, Another impressive time. Uh, for Mike, PCO winning the Ring of Honor world title. Okay. Just for Mike. Just for Mike. Sure, it was a Mike. terrible reign, but we'll just for, for Mike. We'll do it for you, Mike. We'll do it for uh, you, Mike. But a funner reign he had was the Quebecers as a tag team champions I thought were really fun. Again, yeah, nothing like- nothing that would make my list. I think the big one for me that I, that I really enjoyed and just couldn't put it on were a couple of Edge uh, world title reigns there. The, the first one he had where he cashed in the money in the bank. I know it was only for about three weeks, but what he did in those three weeks was really impressive. It the made TV him a, numbers made went him up. Top guy. Yeah, the, li- the live sex thing, the TV ratings go up, TLC against Flair. Huge mistake, I think, to take the belt off him there. But his, his better run, I think, was uh, uh, July to September 06 when he had the great run of matches with Cena, finishing it Unforgiven. J- just good work by Edge there. Not enough to make that's any a, list, but... That's a tough call. I would personally put November of 2007 to... March of 2008. Yeah, that was a good run, run. too. But that's the thing. See, and that's the thing about Edge, though. Edge, Christian, Jericho. He's never had a bad world championship run. It's just that they're just, they're so small. And see, this is one of the things I think that people are going to be surprised when they listen to this, but really do the research and think about it, is that a lot of people look at that kind of time frame and that attitude, ruthless aggression era as a great time in wrestling, which it is. But if you're a top guy there, holy crap, you were not holding the belt very long during that era. No, not at all. Not at all, right? Um, quick quick couple more. Uh, Bobby Roode's NW, uh, NXT title reign I thought was a good one. Yep, and, I was uh, thinking about it. Steen and Generico's Ring of Honor tag title reign. They were better in the chasing role than as the champions, in my opinion. But Agreed. I still, agree. a, still a fun role. Yep. Uh, one for you, Christian's first NWA World Championship reign I thought was, uh, I, I just like to see that moment. Believe and it even or not. As, as much as I agree with that, I would have put his ECW world title reign above it. Okay, okay. And although I think that the championship meant more as the NWA title, he held it for almost a year and was the second to last ECW world champion. Let's Fair. be honest, he really should have Been finished up with that belt. We but what pretend. I liked about, what I think was, was the why I think the ECW championship is better than the NWA one more than anything is that the NWA championship made Christian become like, oh yeah, he proved he's a top guy. He's a world champion. Christian made that show ECW worth watching just yeah. for him. Yeah, Like absolutely. he made the belt important. 
having it around his waist made it important. And I think that says something about who he was at the time and the fact that he was giving a ton of new guys the opportunity to shine. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I, I don't argue that point at all. Uh, speaking of Christian, him and Lance Storm and the Un-Americans, again, the title reign was short, but the matches were great. Uh, entertaining gimmick. Same thing can be said, Kevin Owens' universal title reign. Yeah. Uh, I was disappointed Bret- it wasn't longer because, man, yeah. he did a great job carrying that belt. Yeah. Bret Hart as the Intercontinental Champion from an in-ring standpoint was fantastic, but not a lot of big angles to go with those title reigns. Agreed. And uh, Chris Benoit winning the world title at WrestleMania 20 was the last honorable mention I had. Yeah, it's hard for me not to put that one on. It, it hurt me to keep that one because it was such a short comp- reign compared to some of the others. But I enjoyed the crap out of that reign. I thought it, yeah. it had really good television with Chris yeah. Benoit's champion. So, that, so that's uh, our, those are my honorable mentions. I'm sure you got a couple as well. I do. Uh, we're going to start off. Uh, Owens and Hart, as we've said from your list, were on my honorable mentions. But I am going to name two names that we've already heard from my list. Going back to La Huera Loca, Taya Valkyrie, for her impressive run as the longest reigning Impact Wrestling Knockouts Champion in yeah. history. January 6, 2019 to January 18th, 2020, 377 days. Diana Perrazzo, um, I don't, I think has surpassed her in uh, combined total numbers, but consecutively can't even touch it. So I, I figure again, Again, and again, I'm going to say it. I think it, when all is said and done, after we're long and dead, Taya Valkyrie is going to be talked about in those in those breaths of like greatest Canadians of all time. And hopefully, her run as Frankie Monet, currently in NXT, will yeah. be a pre be, be a start of that for something even better. And I actually gave an honorable mention to Kenny Omega's uh, Omega's New Japan Pro Wrestling U.S. Championship run from oh, okay. July 2nd, 2017, to January 28th, 2018. 210 days, easily the shortest reign on my honorable mention list. Dude was the first U.S. champion there, and he did make sure that the belt was something worth striving for, was important. When he was defending the title, it felt like a big championship. It felt like a big deal. So I'm going to give him a little bit of an honorable nod on that one again. I like it. I like it. Last one on my list. This was the one I had at number seven. It was so, so hard for me to put away. And it all comes down to exposure. And I'm going to talk about this. My girl, your girl, every red-blooded Canadian's girl, LaFisto, hey. held the Shine Championship from January 13th, 2017 to June 26, 2018, 529 days defending against the likes of um, Mercedes Martinez, Allison Kay, just about every top independent women's wrestler you can think of. The only reason I put it as an honorable mention and I had to bump it off my number seven spot is because when we look at the championship importance and as much as I respect Shine as a company and Shimmer and all of those other companies, they're not seen at a national level. They're not seen at a global level the way some of these other championships were. It is the only reason I could not put her at number seven. God knows that I wanted to. If I could, I would have put that and her CZW Ironman Championship victory on there as well because her run, um, both of which, by the way, she was never beat for. She. Ha- it seems like every long championship run that Lufisto gets, she's had to give up the belt due to injury or yeah. some health issue. Once again, the woman just can't catch a break that she deserves. Um But that's the point, is that she's a history maker and a trailblazer, as we've espoused many, many, many times on this show. So I just wanted to throw some love to my girl, Lefisto, because man, oh man, I think she deserves it. But again, due to the championship not being the most prestigious, I 
compared to the others on my list. I respect that. How about we give a shout out to friend of the show, Nova, for her current reign as Northland champion as well. Yeah, right? yeah. Absolutely. All right. Absolutely. Well, I think uh, I think we about got everybody. And if you don't like what we had and all you Bret Hart marks want to shit on us or Edge marks want to shit at us, do it at www.countedout7.com or at countedout7 on Twitter or Instagram. Cannot wait to hear it. I got to say, Adam, uh, I'm I'm always impressed with your wealth of knowledge and and your your history of lucha libre. Actually, taught me some stuff today, so I appreciate that. Hey, man, I should be the one thanking you. You reminded me about good old Ricky Martel, and uh, boy, oh boy, am I uh, am I feeling like I need to go ahead and uh, rush up on some Ricky Martel tonight? So thank you, because now I've got an evening of AWA matches where I can watch the master of the Quebec Crab take on the guy with a, a big fat ugly wife as Stan Hansen himself would say. <laughs> I was watching him and uh, I was watching Rick Martel and Michael Hayes to prepare for this. Man, so fun. Him and Terry Gordy as well. There's some good stuff on YouTube, man. Do yourself a favor, wrestling fans. Get familiar with Rick Martel's AWA stuff. He was more than just a model. Absolutely. But yeah. man, what but what a model he was. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. He was a, a model. model Canadian. <laughs> he took the words right out of my mouth. I think that's the best note to leave it at. You got anything you want to plug, Adam? Any social media, anything like that? No, no, I'm scared of the internet, so I don't want people finding me. I love it. Well, if uh, if I start to take heat, I'm going to put your social media up anyways, all right? <laughs> well, I don't uh, want any confrontation, eh? I'm Canadian. I don't, yeah. I don't like to do that, eh? Yeah, we're sorry if you don't like our list, eh? <laughs> and we're sorry if you do like it, buddy. Yeah, eh? yeah. Let's go, let's go get some Timbits and wrap, put a bow on this thing, eh? We're going to go out for a rip. <laughs> well uh on behalf of everybody in canada happy canada day to our friends in the states happy independence day on behalf of adam i am tyler and even you mike we have been counted out au revoir <laughs>